Okay, I want you to do something for me. I want you to think about when in your life you first understood the concept of death. I mean the finality of the irreversible loss of losing an object of love and affection. Were you five? Were you 10? Were you 15? Maybe it was a pet. Maybe it was your grandmother. Maybe it was a brother or a sister. But until you experience it, until you really go through it, you cannot appreciate the gravity of death. There are no do-overs. There are no second chances. It hits you like a ton of bricks. And the more you care for that person, the more you're attached to that person, the harder it hits you. Now assume that you didn't just experience it, you actually caused it. And assume further that you didn't just cause it, that you intentionally, premeditatedly murdered someone. Murdered someone without appreciating the gravity of what you were doing. You've seen murder on television, you see it in movies, but murder is nothing like that. There's a reason it's called the unpardonable sin. The taking of someone's life changes you forever. For Gypsy Rose Blanchard, it became very, very real. Fast, like a runaway train. Because she heard her mother being butchered alive, and she caused that butchering to happen. She heard her scream in pain as she was stabbed 17 times in the back because Gypsy arranged it to happen. She heard her cries for help. I heard her scream for me a couple times. Her desperate pleas for mercy. Gypsy, help me. And then she heard her die. Then it all went quiet. She heard it all because Gypsy was there, right there, just a few feet away on the other side of a very thin wall as her mother's blood was spilled in the bedroom. But as I said, Gypsy wasn't just an innocent bystander, far from it. It was a murder plan, and it was an escape plan. She's the one who orchestrated her mother's death. It was payback for a lifetime of abuse and torture. It was an escape. She was running towards something she thought she wanted and away from something she knew she didn't want. Now, there's no way to justify this, but maybe there is a way to understand it. And I'm not splitting hairs when I say this. There is no way I'm going to try and justify what took place that night. I am not. But we have to take all factors into consideration. Is it possible to mitigate things by considering motivations, considering the person's point of view? I'll let you decide that. But when you hear her calmly describe every single grisly detail of the savage stabbing, you're going to realize that there was a certain coldness, a disconnectedness that is hard to understand when you meet her now. She was a different person then than she is now. Gypsy had a reason in her mind, a justification in her mind for taking out the woman who brought her into this world. There were three things in her mind. One was escape. That was the main thing. She wanted away from her. She had undergone 30 surgeries and was facing another one. And she had had enough. Enough was enough and too much was too much. And she said, I just can't do this anymore. And part of it was retribution. Part of it was a resentment building up. Part of it was revenge. But whatever the motivation, there was no way for her to turn her back on this and let it be abstract, this got very real, very fast, and she heard every strike of the blade and every cry of her mother. You're listening to Episode 4, The Killer Thorn of Gypsy Rose, Analysis of Murder by Dr. Phil. As I navigate around my new studio here in Texas, I like to be prepared for anything like unexpected interviews outside in the rain. That's why my Vessies are my absolute favorite go-to shoes. They keep my feet snug, dry, and stylish. My Vessie Stormburst fits my professional vibe, ensuring style and comfort in any weather condition. Transform your everyday routine into an adventure with Vessies Stormburst. Comfortable, stylish, and waterproof. Not water-resistant. Big difference. 
Bessie's lineup, Stormburst, the everyday classic, and Chelsea offers unparalleled comfort for all-day wear. Embrace every moment come rain or shine with Bessie. Head over to Bessie.com mystery to explore our versatile collection and claim your 15% discount on your first order. Visit Bessie.com mystery for footwear that will gear you up for the whole year round and get 15% off your first order. Ladies and gentlemen. What are you doing? What do you mean? I'm making Just keep a, it simple. I'm making the promo. Just keep it simple. Just say, hey, we're the Brav Bros. Two guys that talk about Bravo. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're the Brav Bros. No. Oh. Dude, stop with the voice. Just the vo- keep it simple. I've seen promos on TV, dude. This is how you get the fans engaged. This is how you get listeners. We're trying to get listeners here. If we just say, oh, we're two dudes that talk about Bravo, people are going to get tired of it already. We need some oomph. All right, then fine. Let's try to do it with your voice. Brav bros. Good job. In this episode of our multi-part series, you and I will go on a very dark journey. We're going to be inside the murder room as Gypsy Rose tells us about the horrifying moments when her boyfriend, as she referred to him at the time, hacked her mother to a brutal death. You're going to hear Gypsy talk about how she provided the killer with the serrated butcher knife and all the other instruments of death, how she cowered in mortal fear as the cold-blooded monster stabbed her unsuspecting mother in the back 17 times just a few feet away on the other side of the wall. She will tell you that she was afraid at that point that if she made one wrong move, one tiny peep, that he would go off the rails and she would become his next victim. As you heard in our previous episode, Gypsy was at the end of her rope. She needed to break free from her abusive mother, Dee. This woman was as sick and twisted as they come, and she had tortured Gypsy her entire life. It just hurts, because every time she told me that she loved me, that she was trying to protect me, now that I know the only person I need to protect you from is her. And I want to know what was so wrong that I did to her for her to do that to me. Because I don't understand. Well, I do understand. Dee Dee had Munchausen syndrome by proxy, a sick and twisted dysfunction. Now, I think this is a cruel form of child abuse. Some think it's a mental illness. I disagree. Dee Dee made Gypsy appear to be sick and then started dismantling her body and making her truly sick also she could have attention glory and money her daughter became her cash cow she became her ticket to life and it's one of the worst cases that i have ever investigated she convinced gypsy that she had ailments like paralysis and cancer convinced her she was actually sick and paralyzed and subjected her to countless unnecessary surgeries and gave her powerful medicines for those phantom illnesses and those drugs mimic diseases she told Gypsy she had. And the side effects only made Gypsy sick for real. Now, we've made it very clear that Gypsy did know she could walk, and I'm not saying that she didn't. Some will say that she was a co-conspirator. I have said that she had lost all control, all ability to fight against her mother. Understand, this power figure had dominated her her entire life. She taught her to lie, she taught her to manipulate, and she taught her that if she didn't comply, she would be held hostage, she would be beat with a coat hanger, she would be starved, she would be punished in ways that you and I can only imagine. So did Gypsy at times participate? Yes, she did. And at times, her will was broken by her mother actually making her sick by poisoning her with medications that she didn't need that created side effects she couldn't control. You were chronically victimized by a sick and demented woman. I know what you've been subjected to with surgery after surgery and teeth extracted, and there are terrorists that have been at Guantanamo Bay that have not been subjected to the torture that you have been subjected to. They had you on pages and pages of medications, many of which have side effects that mimic the diseases that she said you had. The medication that I was on was making me nauseous. She would force me to be in a wheelchair and force me to go to doctor's appointments that I didn't need. 
Did you ever say to her, Mother, I can walk. Why am I in this wheelchair? I can get up and walk to the, to the garage and back. Why am I in this wheelchair? No, sir, I never asked that. No, sir, I never asked that. Can you blame her? Gypsy knew if her mom caught her walking, she would be badly beaten because it had happened before. She knew from painful experience, I told you, that if she didn't comply, there was hell to pay. Did she ever catch you walking? She did a couple times. And what did she say or do? She got so upset with me, she would punish me so bad. Like, she started hitting me with a coat hanger. You're probably thinking the same thing that I thought when I first heard about this story. Why didn't Gypsy just tell the doctors, her friends, or her dad, that she could really walk and she really wasn't sick? Well, there are a couple of reasons. One, she really was sick. Her mother was keeping her sick. And, as I said, we've seen what happens if her mother caught her walking. I can understand not telling the doctors. It's scary to think what she told Gypsy, the consequences she'd have if, if she did see anything, you know. The bottom line, and I'm really ashamed of this because I'm part of the system. Gypsy was horribly let down by the system that was supposed to protect her. Now, this was just a travesty. The doctors and even government officials at all levels believed what Dee Dee said about Gypsy's illnesses. She manipulated the system. She had just enough medical training to be dangerous. Gypsy has essentially fallen through every crack there is in the system. And if that wasn't bad enough, Dee Dee treated Gypsy as her cash cow. That horrible woman received hundreds of thousands of dollars in government assistance, and it's a fraud that you and I paid for with our taxes. Good, well-meaning Samaritans donated, took money from their pockets, and gave to this woman to treat her daughter. Gypsy didn't want the money. She was brainwashed, coerced, and poisoned. But all Gypsy wanted was to be free of the daily abuse, free to walk as she pleased, free to be a young woman, free to fall in love, free to have a life of her own. Gypsy found what she thought would be her ticket out, a guy named Nicholas Godijan. She hooked up with him on, of all places, a Christian dating website. Yeah, you heard me right. A Christian dating website, of course. And they communicated for three years, mostly on the computer, just chatting and texting and swapping selfies. You were kind of big into costumes a lot, right? I was, yes. Entertain yourself? Entertain myself. When did you meet him for real, in the real world? In March of 2015. And where was that? Um, at a movie theater. We went to see the new version of Cinderella. Right. And my mother and I was going to see the movie. So I had asked him, why don't you come and meet me finally? We can meet at the movie. And so he, he took a Greyhound bus to Springfield, Missouri. From? From Wisconsin. Oh, I see. To meet me. So he came all the way down from Wisconsin. Mm Mm-hmm. And meet you at the movie in Springfield. Were you excited? I was. I was very excited to meet this person that, you know, I've been talking to for so long. Gypsy says her mother took an immediate dislike to Nicholas. And of course she would. She's not gonna like anybody that starts to get into her game, into her world. She didn't like this guy showing attention to Gypsy, and she certainly didn't like the fact that Gypsy seemed to be smitten with this guy from the get-go. So the abuser has to get between the two of them. But to Gypsy, he was no less than Prince Charming, riding not a white horse, but in the back of a Greyhound bus. Nicholas was the valiant hero who would sweep her off her feet and rescue her from the cruel witch. And Dee Dee was right. She spotted danger right away. She didn't know how dangerous it was, but she knew this guy was bad news. Seriously, Gypsy was naive. She was so transparent. Her mother spotted this day one, minute one. She knew this was not good. And she was, of course, very paranoid about these things. She had her antenna out. She spotted this guy instantly. Gypsy dreamed of running away with Nicholas. Dee Dee had no idea that it had gone that far. She had no idea they had been in communication for three years, but she knew this connection was not good. This was not okay. She had no idea, of course, of what was coming. But here, Gypsy's dreamed of running away with Nicholas, getting married, starting a family, and just being a normal young woman who could walk freely without orders to get back into her wheelchair. 
She wanted to enjoy good food, the kind you chew up and swallow rather than a feeding tube. Nicholas was Gypsy's first boyfriend. She had never dated because her mother wouldn't let anybody get close to her. She wouldn't even let her out of the house alone. She made it clear, you just don't talk to anyone. She couldn't afford to let her talk to anyone. Because if she talked to someone and somebody started asking her questions, it could lead to disclosure. And disclosure could lead to being found out. And being found out could mean the money dries up. It could mean she gets prosecuted for fraud. The stakes were very high here for Dee Dee. She had to keep her under control at this point. She was all in. So Dee Dee just isolated Gypsy from everyone. Typical behavior of a woman suffering from Munchausen's by proxy. And that constant isolation made Gypsy really naive in the ways of the world. And her entire universe consisted of her home, the front yard, doctor's waiting rooms, and her mother choreographing every single second. You've heard me say, when they went to the doctor's office, she was told, you keep your mouth shut. This is adult conversation. Even when Gypsy was 20, this is adult conversation. Keep your mouth shut. Play with your Barbies. Don't say a word. And she's so intimidated by her mother, she did what she was told. And all of this made Gypsy vulnerable to a potential predator. And she was overly trusting to this stranger from Wisconsin. So let's just be frank here. She had been talking to him for three years, but it was on the internet. What she really knew about him was he had a computer. That's all she really knew about him. He could have been 10 years old or 60 years old. It could have been a woman. All she knew was he had a computer. And she was naive enough to believe whatever he told her. So the bottom line, he was a stranger. Let's think this through. Here's a guy, the only thing you really know about him is that he owns a computer. No. That's all you know, right? You didn't do any background check on him, right? No. You just know he's got a computer because he's answering you. Yes, sir. Well, it's too late for that now. Gypsy should have done her homework way before meeting this guy in person. But of course, she didn't know that. She didn't realize the continuum of people in this world. A simple search on the computer would have revealed that Godijan had a criminal record for disorderly conduct. But she didn't know about that. She didn't know how to do a background research on people. She didn't know that people would lie to you. She didn't know that he would misrepresent himself. I mean, who would do that, right? She hasn't experienced people enough to know that they'll tell you one thing and do another, that they'll represent themselves to be one person, yet they're another. The police report, had she checked, would have told her that Godijan spent nine hours in a McDonald's watching porn and fondling himself. Now, would that have mattered to her? I don't know. But she didn't know that. He told the cops he was just scratching an itch. Does he really expect us to buy that? This guy's strange. He has no moral compass. And I'm not just talking about him munching fries and sticking his greasy hand in his pants at a fast food joint. He claims that he has multiple personalities. Now, what do we know about that? Let's look at it against the backdrop of what little we know about him based on his criminal record. What does it tell us that a guy goes to a fast food restaurant, pulls porn up on his computer, and starts fondling himself? Well, here's what that tells me. It tells me that he has no boundaries. He has no edit button. He has no ability to say, not a good idea here. He doesn't have a break to pump. He doesn't have that part of his brain working that says, not a good idea. So his ability to inhibit behavior is not good. I know that just by the choices that he's making in that one circumstance. And the fact that he stayed there for nine hours, poor impulse control just doesn't quite get it. It's beyond that pathologically. So it tells me he's an exhibitionist as well. So he has poor impulse control, he has no boundaries, he's an exhibitionist, and he's apparently narcissistic enough to think, this will be okay. I'll get away with this. Nobody will mind, notice, or object. This will be okay. Children coming in and out, mothers and dads coming in and out, this will just be okay to him. Now, let's add something to that. In addition to being a narcissistic exhibitionist with no impulse control or boundaries and a perverse moral compass, he also claims to have multiple personalities. And none of them are like Good Samaritans. These are all dark. One of them is a 500-year-old vampire named Victor. 
a vampire who lives in Wisconsin in the middle of cheese country. Think about the bad luck, the irony of this. She gets on the internet and she goes to a Christian dating site. So this is a reasonable choice on her part, right? She goes to a Christian dating website because she thinks that what she'll find there are Christians that are like-minded to her, that there'll be people that have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that honor God and have a moral compass, and she thinks, I'll meet someone that will be good. She doesn't realize that this is also a magnet for predators who will go looking for that kind of person to prey upon as well. So what would have happened if she had met someone that genuinely was a good Christian with a good moral compass and good values? Maybe someone that was a mental health advocate or someone that was a crusader against child abuse or domestic violence or an advocate for family unity or whatever. How different would her life have been from that point if she spent three years talking to someone that really invested time in talking to her about self-image and body image and rights as an individual to protect your body and rights to reach out for help, given her numbers to hotlines for stress and abuse and things of that nature, met someone that would not give up until a thorough investigation had been done. Just think how different her life would have been. But damn the luck, she hooks up with a sick, demented individual who believes he's a 500-year-old vampire. She just couldn't catch a break. She went from a mother that abuses her to a stranger on the internet who wants to take it all the way. Then he tells you he's a 500-year-old vampire Mm -hmm. and that he's also such a dark character that he just might kill you in a really bad way. And you made a terrible choice. And as naive and sheltered as you were and falling in the hands of some psycho that thinks he's a vampire. I I was very, very naive back then. I've never... I never had a boyfriend. Well, after that first meetup at the movies, Gypsy and Nicholas continued their secret midnight chats, and she soon hatched a plan for her escape. And it didn't involve her getting pregnant. She calls it Plan B, a plan for the execution and elimination of her mother, Dee Dee Blanchard. And we bounced around that idea. But did you ask him, quote, will you kill my mother for me? I probably did, yes, sir. And that became your plan B? Yes, sir. It's now been three months since the Cinderella film. It's the middle of June, summer in Missouri. It's hot, humid, and Gypsy is boiling mad. She has had a huge argument with her mother about her feeding tube. I asked her if I could have it removed because I was honest with her. I'm like, I no longer need this feeding tube. Can we please have it removed? And she said no. Dee Dee tells her the terrible tube stays. And oh, by the way, you're having another surgery whether you like it or not. Understand that Dee Dee has to take this stand. Those are her calling cards. And now Gypsy is getting to the age where she rebels. Dee Dee has to quell this rebellion. So I asked her, please tell the doctor I don't need this surgery. I've had it 20 times before. Like, I know that I've had this surgery before. Why do we have to have it again? And she's like, there's nothing I can do about it. The doctor wants it. Well, that's what Dee Dee always told Gypsy. The doctor wants it. Now, you and I both know now that's just a total lie. That's a complete manipulation. Dee Dee was the only one who wanted Gypsy to have the surgery. She wanted to keep Gypsy sick and disabled so she could continue to reign as the welfare queen of southwest Missouri, raking in wheelbarrows full of government cash. 
remember, this is a fraud that is predicated on her daughter being sick. And if you think about she's had over 30 surgeries, think about how much time she's in recovery just from the surgery. So you have the surgery and everything leading up to it. Then you have the surgery. Then you have the recovery. And that's when she can put her on display all the time. She has the hospitalization. She can have people come there to validate that the girl is sick. Then she can wheel around in her wheelchair and she's got an IV pole sticking up to the side. She's just out of the hospital. She's got the plastic bracelets on her arm. She has all of the signs, all of the paraphernalia that validates what she's telling everybody. That's how convincing this is. These people are masters. And if you don't even know that Munchausen's by proxy exist, all you see is a very sickly young girl in a wheelchair that doesn't say much and holds on to her Barbie and smiles where teeth used to be, and her mother saying, oh, we're just doing the best we can. And finally, this is when Gypsy says, that's it. I've had it. It is time to pull the trigger on plan B. You are not putting me in the hospital again. You are not cutting me open again. It's just not happening. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. As you're listening to me talking to Gypsy Rose, we're in the cafeteria of the women's prison in Missouri. Now, we're visiting with a confessed killer. Gypsy Rose Blanchard, and boy, does she have a lot more to tell us. She's here serving a 10-year sentence for planning the brutal stabbing murder of her mother, Dee Dee. I'm trained as a forensic psychologist. I've worked in the litigation system for decades. You are both victim and perpetrator here. You have been terribly victimized here, and then you became perpetrator. Now, Gypsy takes us into the days and hours leading up to the murder. She and her boyfriend, Nicholas Godijan, thought they were planning the hit like it was some kind of covert operation. But as you're about to hear, their plan wasn't covert, nowhere close. It was clumsy. It worked. It got her mother dead. That's what she was trying to do. It was cruel. It was bloody. And it accomplished what she wanted. Who decided how to kill her? My boyfriend at the time, Nick. He decided that it would be a stabbing? Yes, sir. He decided what weapon. He decided how many times. Okay. And you went along with it? Yes, sir. Gypsy says Nicholas then changed the plan. He tells her he won't kill her mom. Instead, he'll arrange a hitman to wield the knife. The hitman he has in mind for the job is Victor. It's the same Victor we've talked about, Victor the Vampire. You can't make this stuff up. These two are hatching a plan a step at a time. I talked to Nick. He had me talk to Victor, who initially was the one that was going to do the murder. And he was like, ask Victor, please. And I said, Victor, will you please come kill my mother for me? Because I can't do it myself. Was this on the phone or was this over text? This was over the computer. Okay, so you're emailing back and forth, texting, messaging, whatever? Yes, sir. And what did Victor say? Victor said that he had conditions. One condition would be, it would be with a knife. The other condition is he would have to rape her after he murdered her. And I told him, absolutely not. I am not okay with that. And he said, it's either Victor's way or the highway. Like, Victor won't do it if you don't agree to my terms. So I said, fine, use the knife, but you are not raping her. He's like, well, fine, I'll make you a deal. It's either rape her or rape you after. And I said, rape me because I won't let you do it to her. And so after that, He took his bus, Greyhound bus, from Wisconsin to Missouri. 
you're probably scratching your head right now thinking, really? We've got a vampire who's coming from Wisconsin on a Greyhound bus. If this wasn't so tragic, it would be comical in its ridiculousness of how it sounds and how over the top and poorly planned and executed it is. But it's not comical because it's real. It's tragic. And someone lost their life in a brutal stabbing. Three lives were destroyed. Nicholas, Gypsy, and certainly Dee Dee Blanchard. Premeditated murder is, by definition, not something a well-adjusted person would do, right? You don't have to be insane to commit murder, but there's definitely something a little off in your thinking, in your problem-solving, in your reasoning, if you are sitting down with somebody and planning the killing of your own mother. Something has to be wrong with your emotional adjustment. And we don't have to wonder what's wrong with Gypsy's emotional adjustment. One thing we know in psychology is that body image and self-image vary together. If you have a really good body image, you tend to have a better self-image. If you have a poor body image, you tend to have a poor self-image. And you're probably thinking, now, Dr. Phil, I can give you a hundred examples where that's not true because I know a lot of supermodels, runway models, and they have terrible insecurities. They have terrible self-images. You're assuming they have a good body image, but they don't. You have a good image of their body, but they don't have a good image of their body. And body image and self-image should not vary together. You're not a better person if you lose 20 pounds. You're not a worse person if you gain 50 pounds. You're the same person. I'm not saying they should vary together. They just do. And what do we know about Gypsy's body image? It's fragmented. It's out of control. She has been dismantled. She has been told she is sick, she is diseased, she is poisoned, she is handicapped, she is unable to do anything on her own. So she has a very compromised body image. She doesn't feel healthy, vibrant, alive, strong, robust. She feels compromised in every way and her self-image with it. So clearly her emotional adjustment is compromised, her self-image is compromised, and she is desperate, desperate to escape the abuse that she is experiencing. And you can guess what I'm going to say next about desperate people. What do desperate people do? They do desperate things. Go to Jean, a.k.a. Victor. How well-adjusted is he? Well, go buy your local McDonald's and think about that for a minute. Tells you how well-adjusted he is. He's living in the basement. He's talking to someone he doesn't know for three years and is willing to ride 18, 20 hours on a bus for a date. So he's probably not socially adept, socially acceptable, so he's compromised as well. When you see people that believe or do have multiple personalities, as he describes himself, those personalities usually exist as escape mechanisms because they don't like who or where they are or what their life is in reality, so they create escape mechanisms to use to get away from reality. He seems to get a thrill from the power he will soon exert in this personality of Victor the Vampire. Now, once the bus arrives in Springfield, Missouri, Godijan checks into a cheap hotel near Gypsy's house. He and Gypsy now text each other as they finalize this murder plan. At some point, you've got to wonder, was this all just kind of an intellectual exercise? Did she really think this was going to happen? Or did she think, you know, this will be fun to talk about, but it'll never really happen. But next thing she knows, he's there. And again, if you're thinking about getting away with this, you don't create an electronic trail between the two of you, but they do. You say all you did was to ask him a question, but in the three days prior to the murder, you had some text exchanges that seemed to me that this plan B was pretty much a collaborative process. On June 2nd, you send a text that says, I'm a hundred percent in, hun. I'm ready, truly. He says, why you say that, baby? You say, because I finally allowed myself to accept you're my everything. 
I will go with you and live our dream. So then on the ninth, you say, Hun, does he require just the gloves and knife? And when you're saying he to Nick, you're referring to his alter ego, Victor, right? Yes, sir. And Nick says, Hun, that side of me expects duct tape too to muffle her. You say, okay, baby, we have that. I'll pre-cut it. We didn't use a duct tape, though. And he says, that's good, dear. However, he expects you to give him the full roll. And you say, I will. We only have black bondage tape and Minnie Mouse duct tape. And Nick says, he said the Minnie Mouse duct tape, hun. And you say, okay, hun. So you're planning this right down to the Minnie Mouse duct tape. You didn't use it, but you're planning it. That's at 7.20 a.m. At 7.25, Nick says, Dear, I should ask you this before he has to. Is your mom a light or deep sleeper? You say, light, hun. Okay, dear. Now he's excited. I want to interrupt this to point out how matter-of-fact she is in planning her mother's murder. Just pay attention to that as you listen. I started this off earlier by saying... It's hard to appreciate the gravity of death, the finality of death until you have experienced it. And it's very clear to me when I look at the immaturity of her comments, the shallowness of her thinking, that she has no ability to wrap her head around the gravity of death here. She has no concept of the finality of what's about to happen. And she's getting ready to be shocked beyond shock when she starts hearing this take place. Now he's excited. She's a light sleeper. Now he's excited because he apparently wants her to know she's being hacked to death. At any point during this time, did you look at this and say, holy shit, this is beyond weird here. I'm talking to a guy that's talking about himself in the third person, and the third person's a 500-year-old vampire, and he's glad that my mother's a light sleeper so she'll be awake when he's hacking her to death. Even though at the time you felt like you wanted her dead, did you think this is beyond strange? To be honest, I didn't even, I didn't think it was real because we had been talking about it for so long that I became numb to the idea like, oh, okay, we're just having another conversation about it. We're not actually taking the steps to planning this and this is going to happen. Well, you're down to the detail of pre-cutting the tape. He says, she sleeps on her tummy, like I said, but light sleeper, hun. The shit's going to go down tonight, Ruby said. That's your alter ego, your evil side. The shit's going to go down tonight, Ruby said. What does she mean by that, dear? Please let me know as soon as you can, hun. And then you say, or Ruby says, it means it all happens tonight. And he says, well, how does Ruby feel about it? She keeps me numb in order to cope and survive. We now fast forward to that night, 8.36 p.m. You text, I left the gloves outside the front door and the screen door is squeaky. So try to open it just enough to get in and close it gentle. I miss you too, sweetheart. I'll hand him the knife and the duct tape inside, darling. It's pre-cut and ready. At that point, you knew this was happening, right? I just went through the motions. I never, I didn't, didn't sink in until it was actually happening. Two minutes later, dear, you're telling all this to my evil side since he's the one agreed to do it. Does her floor squeak? Yes, he wanted me to ask you. No, hun, it's all carpet. And then you say, tell him my private parts are shaved. And Nick says, okay, baby, he is excited to do this. What about the rest of your bottom half? It's what he had me ask you. I'll do my legs as soon as he knocks, hun. Okay, baby, don't be alarmed if he speaks because yes, it sounds evil, hun. Okay, darling. And then it's 11.26 p.m. And you say, I am daddy just as a backup. If it doesn't go right, run out of the house as fast as you can, hun. What does that mean, I am daddy? He considered himself um, my father in another life. Well, I have to interject here to say Freud's head would explode right now if he was in the middle of all of this. The symbolism, the pathology going on here is so layered, it's just beyond belief. And the fact that Nick 
is talking about this as though he's talking about someone else. He's talking about, quote, him, Victor, as though he's Victor's representative, as he's Victor's agent. It gives him license to say things that he would be too embarrassed to say himself. So he wouldn't have the courage to look her in the eye and say, I want you to do this. I want you to prepare yourself in this way. But it gives him a layer of protection to say, he had me ask you this. He had me do this. So if in some way she pushes back or rejects him, then he doesn't risk the danger of rejection because he is much too fragile to be rejected. This guy is held together by bailing wire, smoke and mirrors. Let me tell you, he is very unstable and could not risk being rejected. That's why he's saying he wanted me to ask you this. Because if she says, no way, buddy, you've gone too far now. I'm not doing it. Well, okay, I'll tell him. Then he doesn't have to feel the sting of rejection. So all of this is a ploy to protect his ego. He's created this to give him a layer of safety in the event that she pushes back. And the fact that he's telling her to go in the bathroom and be completely shaved and then says, Father, like he's setting up to rape his prepubescent daughter. This is what sick wants to be when it grows up. He says, baby, there's no other option. He's going to finish her no matter what. That is how he is. And you say, okay, darling, he is brave. I respect and admire that smiley face. How's the bed? Is it soft, hun? Honey, you forgot, though, he is ruthless, and his hatred of her will force her to die. He says, you'll enjoy it, baby. What will you be wearing? You ask him. Nothing that will terrify her. It's all black, and my evil side picked the full outfit, darling. Okay, I just have to remember it's still you. Yes, just the darkness in me, dear. Just like Ruby is the darkness in you, honey. But after we comfort each other, after we do that, sweetheart, I'll hold you like the baby girl of mine that you are. And we will be happy soon after this night. We never bring it up again. There's so much wrong here. He's almost acting as if he's in a father-like mode with her and then brutally rapes her. And that tells me that he needs this fantasy structure in order to perform, in order to get aroused and do what it is he wants to do. And she has nothing to compare it to. So she's going along with this. She thinks she's doing this to keep her mother from being raped after she's killed. So in her mind, she's taking the high road here and taking one for the team. She's doing this to protect her mother's dead body from being defiled. There's a ball of yarn here, is what I'm saying. She said, I'm okay with you killing my mother, but I'm not okay with you raping her dead body. So I'm going to step up and do the right thing and protect her from that. It's kind of like I'm undoing a bad thing here by taking this on myself. And then he's saying, okay, this other person, Victor, wants you to do these things and wants you to have no hair anywhere like a prepubescent little girl. And I am daddy. How sick can this get? So she goes along with it. He goes along with it. And the last thing he says, if this doesn't go right, run out of the house as fast as you can, because he's thinking, who knows what will happen then? Again, impulse control. Maybe he doesn't know what will uncurl at that point. But he does brutally rape her. He knocks at the door and she presents herself like a virgin sacrifice to the 500-year-old vampire. And what happens next is an irreversible decision that will lead to tragedy. I've spent some time looking at things through Gypsy Rose's eyes. And as I've said, when you take someone that has been victimized so many years and has so much resentment build up and has now begun to figure out that they are the subject of abuse and all of this anger and all this resentment starts to bubble up, 
bad things are going to happen. And then you add in a very pathological influence in this Nicholas Godijan and two naive people that do not have the ability to predict the consequences of their actions. Now, one thing we know for sure is that the brain does not finish growing until at least 25. Recent research suggests it's later than that even, but until at least 25. And the last part of the brain that develops is the neocortex. And the neocortex is where we have the executive functions, the organizational functions, the ability to have foresight and predict the consequences of our actions, see around corners. That's why I always tell parents, you don't buy a 16-year-old a fast car because they can't predict how quickly that car can turn into scrap metal with a lot of people dead. You're better off to give them something really heavy with not enough power. So it's got to be the little engine that could trying to get up the hill. They'll live a lot longer because they cannot predict the consequences of what they do. And here you've got Gypsy Rose, who is clearly developmentally delayed. Not only is her brain not growing, but she has been socially impaired, developmentally impaired, learning impaired. Her brain is not developed to her age. So her ability to predict the consequences of her action is not good. Add to it all of the trauma that she's been through, all the medications that have stopped or disrupted brain function, all of these things. I don't think she's at a mental age of six or seven, but I suspect it's not much beyond 10 or 12 in terms of mental emotional age. So her ability to think through all of this and predict, here's what could happen if I do A. Here's what happens if we get caught. Here's what happens after the fact. Let's think about tomorrow morning when I wake up and my mother is dead. Here's life after mother's dead, okay? Am I gonna get unneeded surgeries? No, however, my mother is dead as opposed to him picking me up and taking me away and getting me to my father or getting me a thousand miles away and changing my name. Her ability to reason and problem solve is simply not developed. It's not there. And he's not encouraging it because he's a thrill killer. I mean, he's just looking for a thrill. This guy is absolutely on a thrill kill journey. He is not interested in what's good for her. He's interested in what gives him a thrill. And so you put those two things together and mix them up and you've got all kinds of bad tragedy. And that's why when I look at things through her eyes, it doesn't look clear. You could take someone that's 15 years old, but has not been through tragedy, has a clear set of values, has a moral compass pointing to north, can see where things are headed. They could tell you, A, this is not a good thing to do, and B, you are leaving a trail here that the village idiot could follow. But the reason that they did all of that is because they're not thinking here. They're not good problem solvers. You could make a case for not even trying her as an adult because she's functioning as a child. And clearly, I'm not saying this to condone what Gypsy Rose did, not for one second. She made a bad choice, a horrible choice. No matter what traumatic things Dee Dee did to her, she did make a conscious decision to take matters into her own hands. And from a psychological standpoint, there are a lot of people that have been through developmental delays that don't kill their parents. There are a lot of people that have suffered trauma who don't become killers. But many killers are created by traumatic events and a childhood filled with abuse and trauma and abandonment and pain. Gypsy had both. She had them in spades, and she had them chronically from three months of age until the moment she curled up on the floor in a fetal position and listen to this monster hack her mother to death in the next room. She didn't do this in a vacuum, so we have to ask ourselves, who has written on the slate of this young woman? I say that because we're not born completely as blank slates. There's genetic encoding, there's in utero environment, but then once you're born, we're largely a product of our learning history. Just think of it as just a pretty blank chalkboard who has written what on the slate of who we are? Are there reasons for what she did? Are there excuses for what she did? 
Well, there certainly aren't excuses. The law doesn't excuse this. The universe doesn't excuse this. Does it make sense? Of course it doesn't. But can you understand how it might seem like a good idea at the time to someone who believes it's her or me? One of us is getting out of here alive, not both of us. If I continue to be under her thumb, she is going to kill me. She is going to continue to poison me, operate on me, until finally she becomes the martyr of a young daughter lost. She is going to kill me. I've tried to escape. She caught me, brought me back, and chained me to a bed. CPS has been here twice. They did nothing. Doctors have discovered what's happened. I'm still getting operated on tomorrow. If somebody's going to help me, it's going to be me. And I finally have a volunteer. I got somebody offering to help me. And nothing is going to stop this woman. She has lied to me my entire life. She's lied to me about how old I am. She's lied to me about whether I can walk or not. She's lied to me about whether I can eat or not. She's lied to me about everything. And it's her or me. And with limited problem-solving skills and limited resources and one voice in her ear who's saying, kill her. We've got to kill her. Maybe you begin to understand how it made sense to her at the time. You were tortured as a child. You think this was your only exit? I thought it was at the time. What do you think now? If I can go back, now I know I should have called my dad. Gypsy's father agrees. She should have called him. He wishes she had called him. He and his wife, Christy, Gypsy's stepmother, they do not condone what Gypsy did either. But they say they understand why she made her deadly choice. They wish she had called the cops on her mother. They do not condone what she did, but like a cornered animal trapped, you sometimes do things in the moment. She's seen no way out. I think Gypsy ultimately killed Dee Dee because, for one, she just snapped. She had enough. You know, here she is. She's 24 years old. She's had a child's life. Her whole life's been like a little 10 to 15-year-old childlike life. I don't think Dee Dee deserved to be killed. I mean, she, what she did was, was definitely wrong. There's no question that you don't do that to your child. You don't use them. I don't think she should have died for it, but, you know, like I said, there's not a lo lot of love lost now. I think Gypsy had her mom killed so she could finally live the life that she wanted. What child doesn't want to have a boyfriend live a life? I thought in my mind that Gypsy was, like, relieved that her mom was dead. Like I told her, the first day we went to see her in prison. I don't judge you for what you did, but I understand why you did it. And what Gypsy and Godijan did was to kill Dee Dee in the most painful and horrible way they had at their disposal. Now think about this for a moment. It's kind of a bizarre twist of irony. Dee Dee hacked Gypsy up with dozens of unnecessary surgeries, and she's about to be hacked up with a sharp kitchen knife instead of a scalpel. Now you're going to hear the chilling text messages Gypsy and Godijan swapped in the hours before the vampire killer stabs her mother in her sleep. Listen closely because these texts, well, they're disturbing. Then at 9.08 p.m. on the 10th, you say she's taking her sleep aid. Okay, baby, I'm calculating the money for the ride. You say once you're inside the house, we stay silent, not even a whisper until after I open that bathroom door. And he says, never underestimate his will to kill. Oh, and give me your address. Make sure I get the right one. You give it to him. My house has the ramp and the front porch ramp all painted white. Okay. I texted him when my mother went to sleep. I let him in the door. There were gloves waiting for him, plastic gloves by the door. You put them there? I put them there. He came in. And he was wearing a hoodie and dark clothing and a scary t-shirt that had evil clowns on it. And I handed him the knife and he said, get your ass in the bathroom now. And I went in the bathroom, closed the door behind me and kind of got down in a kneeling position and put my hands over my ears so I couldn't hear anything. But I did hear stuff. I heard her scream for me a couple times. And but first like she she sounded like she was startled, like who's there? 
and then I heard her screaming. And I wanted to go and help her, but he had told me prior, if you come in the bedroom, Victor might hurt you too. Like Victor will lash out at you if you try and stop it. So I was scared of that. And I was scared of what I would see. And I was just so scared. So I didn't move even though I wanted to. And then she called my name about three or four times wanting help. I didn't move. Then it all went quiet. When you say she called your name, how, how did she call your name? It was like asking for help. Like, Gypsy, help me. Did she call it as though she knew you were involved, help you, or? No, I don't think she knew. I think that maybe she thought it was a random break-in. So she's yelling, Gypsy, help me. Mm -hmm. Take me through the moment you heard that. It broke my heart because I knew there was no going back, even if I wanted to. Like, part of me wanted to save her because there were good parts to her and she was my mother. And then the other part of me was like, if it just, it's gonna be over in a little while, then I'll be able to live this good life where I'm free of her. But moments before, you had just let the murderer in the door and handed him rubber gloves and a knife. Mm -hmm. And your good life was going to be with this man that murdered your mother. Yes. Did you think about the fact that you were making a plan to live with someone that was capable of stabbing your mother to death? I thought he loved me, and I thought he wanted to protect me, and I thought I'd be safe with him. As I told you before, Gypsy is beyond naive. How could she believe that this bloodthirsty vampire killer would keep her safe? For all she knew, once he tasted blood, he might not want to stop with just killing her mother. He might turn the knife on her. He might figure out and not be so naive that she was a witness and he needed to kill her to keep himself safe. This guy is clearly sick and demented. He has a dark heart. He has no moral compass, no compassion. He just has no soul. He pounced on Dee Dee when she was asleep. He didn't go in there to kill her efficiently. He was running an agenda of his own. When you stab someone 17 times, you're not going in there to get a job done. You're venting. Something is going on inside you. It's not just you're completing a task you've been assigned. He was killing someone and doing it in the most painful and horrible way imaginable. And he knows this is the mother of the woman he supposedly loves. And he knows she's listening to this whole thing. Now, we've already decided this is an exhibitionist. This is a narcissist. At least that's my opinion. And he's putting on a show for Gypsy Rose. It never occurs to him that this is her mother that she has mixed emotions about this, that this will scar her for the rest of her life. This was not a large house, and these were not thick walls, and Gypsy hid out in the bathroom, afraid to make a move, afraid to make a sound. She's crouching on the floor. She's covering her ears. But let me tell you, these sounds, she makes it very clear. They were just too loud not to hear. The moment Dee Dee took her final breath, the moment her soul left her badly battered body, Godijan ordered Gypsy to present herself as an offering, almost like he's conducting some kind of pagan ritual. You're in the bathroom floor. <laughs> what are you wearing? A nightgown, a white nightgown. Did he come in there? He did. Whenever it was all over, he had this um, knock code. He knocked on the door three times scratch the door twice and that was his code to let him in but before I could let him in he commanded me that I must shave my legs and any body hair and present myself to him naked while he's outside the door while he's outside the door yes 
So he's just stabbed your mother to death. He's come to the door, knocked three times, scratched twice, and then says, now you have to shave your body mm-hmm. and present yourself to him naked. Mm-hmm. Did you? Yes. So this butcher standing outside the door with a knife and rubber gloves on, and it sounds to me like you're preparing yourself like a sacrifice. It's what Victor wanted. Come on, Victor, go to Jean. You can change the name tag all you want, but this is exactly what Godijan wanted. His perverted request for Gypsy to shave herself, as I said, sounds to me like he's living out some kind of pedophilic fantasy, almost like he wants to rape this prepubescent girl, some kind of eight-year-old virgin, and this is all going on in just a matter of minutes. And then he's asking her about it like he knows nothing. Oh, did he come to the door? Did he do this? And she's answering like she's really informing him like he doesn't know. She says she went along with it, but at times she said she believes some of it. It's hard to imagine how these two were relating to one another. Take me through the moment you opened the door. I opened the door and I was completely naked, but I was wearing a wig because my head was shaved. I let him in and he was he was holding the knife in his hand and his finger was bleeding. And he said, she tried to fight me off, but I was too strong for her. Clean up my finger. And so, I knew that there was bandages in the closet. So I got bandages, cleaned off his finger. Then he commanded me to clean up blood spots on the carpet that led from her bedroom to the kitchen where he had walked to get a paper towel to cover up his finger. Okay. And then what happened then? After I finished cleaning up the blood spots, he took me to my bedroom and he commanded me to take off all my stuffed animals off the bed. And I did. And then he proceeded to pull down his underwear and throw me on the bed and rape me. Was this a brutal event? Yes, sir. At one point I screamed more than I think my mother screamed. He hurt you? And how long did this go on? Um, it's probably longer than I think it is, but probably about five, five, seven minutes, Uh give or take. Okay. And so this ends, then what happens? And then he lets me up off the bed and tells me to grab a suitcase. I find a suitcase, um, and he starts going through my things in my closet picking out clothes to pack. And he picks out a few things, packs it. Then he calls the cab and we leave the house. So how far do you think you were from your mother's dead body while all this was going on? Not far. My room is across from hers. And I don't know if she was still alive when I was being raped or not. I don't know how long it took her to pass away. Did you go in the room? No, no, sir. And every time I'd pass by the room, he would block, he would stand by the door and block my view so I couldn't see. Did you want to see? No, sir. Did it occur to you that he's dripping his blood all over the place and you're calling a cab? This is not real stealthy. And it's, we were stupid and we didn't, I can't say, oh, I wish we would have planned it out better or whatever. I just wish we wouldn't have done anything to begin with. I wish he would have just said, I will help you get out of your situation. Where did you go? To the hotel that he was staying at. As soon as this is over, your mother's been murdered, you've been raped. Are you immediately wishing it hadn't happened, or are you happy it happened? It was a mix of emotions. To be honest, I felt numb. It's like it wasn't real. But real it was, all too real. Gypsy left her mother's dead body behind to rot in the summer heat. 
I just wish I can go back and walk in front of somebody and none of this would have had to happen. You said he could have said no. You could have walked out that front door. You could have called that cab. You called a cab after you hacked her to death. You could have got to call that cab and left. You could have gone to a women's shelter. You could have gone to a police station. She would have found me. She would have convinced them that I was lying. And she had paperwork to prove like I was mentally incompetent. Nobody would have believed me. After Gypsy and Godijan call the cab, taxi driver Janice Buttram pulls up to the murder house and picks them up. You heard me right. They commit this brutal murder and call a cab that picks them up at the crime scene. Something was wrong. Something was definitely wrong with the picture I was picking of these two people. Janice says on the 15-minute ride to Godijan's hotel, Gypsy revealed her true identity. Again, not smart, not the recipe for the perfect getaway. She definitely told me that her name was Gypsy Rose. He remarked to her, I don't have the cash. I used the last of the cash to buy the tickets, the tickets together. And she pulled out a, it was like rounded and around, mm -hmm. and she just flipped off a $10 bill and gave me the so you pulled and you got paper towels in the trash with this DNA all over them. Mm -hmm. And the stupid part is I actually wiped down the door handles. Right. And you mailed the knife to his parents? To his house, yeah. What was that, just in case the police didn't find it fast enough? You wanted it to be where he lived? No, I. he wanted me to take the murder weapon in my backpack on the Greyhound bus. I've never been on a Greyhound bus, so I thought maybe there were metal detectors. And so I was like, no, let's let's mail it. People buy knives off of eBay, so we'll just mail the knife to your house. And he said, well, we'll, we'll throw it away in Lake Superior and nobody will ever find it. But we didn't, we got arrested before we can dispose of it. Well, there's that. So it's got your mother's DNA on it, his DNA on it, his prints on it, your prints on it, and you mail it to his parents' house. Mm -hmm. You don't want a life of crime. You need to plan something else. I know. Because you're not very good at this one. No. I know you're worn out hearing all of this because it's just so horrible. I hope you now understand even more what I meant when I said there's no way Gypsy understood the gravity of what was about to happen. I'm not saying that as an excuse, just an observation. This naive, developmentally delayed girl, young woman, that was now in the hands of this Godijan, it just was in over her head. She was making decisions she knew nothing about. That doesn't make it okay. It doesn't excuse it. I'm just saying she got on a runaway train and she pushed the throttle, but then it was a runaway. Coming up in the next episode, what Gypsy and Godijan do in the hours after the murder. <laughs> the shocking sex tape, the getaway to Wisconsin, and the Facebook post that told cops right where they are hiding out. That's all coming up in the fifth and final episode of The Killer Thorn of Gypsy Rose, Analysis of Murder by Dr. Phil. You will not want to miss this one. I'm Dr. Phil. Thanks for listening. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. 
Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.